powered by Transistor FM. Welcome to Friends, Foes, and Neither. Do not adjust your podcatcher settings, as what you are about to hear is real. It's the Derek Duvall Show. Prepare yourself for insightful interviews with incredible people. Join us now as we delve ever deeper into the human condition. And now, coming to you live to tape from the Derek Duvall Production Bunker, it's Derek Duvall! Hello, Duvall Nation. Hello! Hey, everybody. Hi. Hey. Thank you so much for coming. Please sit. Thank you. Hello, Duvall Nation, and welcome to the Derek Duvall Show. We are back with another fantastic journey into the lives of extraordinary people. This episode is brought to you today by the fine folks at BetterHelp. BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy service, and it's 100% online. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Derek Duvall Show. That's BetterHelp.com slash Derek Duvall Show. All right, so before we jump into this episode, I want to say a huge thank you to my last guest, Rebecca Lee. What a fantastic guest, and the feedback and response to the show was truly immense. If you've not had a chance to hear our in-depth interview, I strongly encourage you to check it out after the conclusion of this episode. So welcome to episode 165, and we have a brilliant episode lined up for you today. We have on the show Christopher Goldsmith. Now, Christopher is the CEO of the Task Force Butler Institute, which is an organization whose mission is to identify, expose, and interrupt organized extremist groups and their illegal activities here in the United States. This man's war against fascism has inspired me on a very personal level, and I was honored by my offer for him to appear on the show and tell his story on why he partook on this mission was accepted. We have quite an interview ahead of us, so let's get Christopher out here. Duval Nation, please join me in welcoming to the show, calling in today from his home in New York, the CEO of the Task Force Butler Institute, Christopher Goldsmith. Chris, hello. Welcome to the Derek Duvall Show. How is the weather out by you today? It's, uh, it's a beautiful spring day. So I start my interviews off the same way, and that is, how has it been for you to navigate the COVID-19 world up to this point? I've, uh, I've been a lot, a lot luckier than, than a lot of folks. Um, I, I happen to get out into the suburbs just in time, purely by coincidence, just before the uh, pandemic hit. Though I lost my job right at the beginning of, of the pandemic, I was able to land on my feet, started a small business. And uh, a year later, started the nonprofit Task Force Butler Institute. Nice. So every journey has a beginning. Where were you born? And what was it like to grow up there? I grew up in Long Island. It was, it was um, I don't know, I, I think a kind of uneventful white suburbia kind of place. You know, things things didn't get interesting until, uh, until 9-11. Mm. And we were, you know, like, 20 miles or, or less from Manhattan. Um, so a lot of the families of my friends uh, that I went to school with were, were directly affected. You know, a few, few folks died, a bunch of folks, you know, evacuated uh, the city and, and had some pretty horrific stories from that day. You know, and that's, that's part of what, uh, well, I mean, that shaped my entire adult life. I ended up joining the army going to Iraq and, uh, Made me who I am today. 
Could you see the uh, towers from where you were at? So from the, so I had kind of a, a normally tall house um, <laughs> with with a window up in the attic, and from my house I I could see could see the smoke, and from the beach, uh, not far from my house, you know, I could see the Manhattan skyline, and you know I have I have pretty distinct memories of of I was in cross country at the time. Uh, and and driving uh, as as part of the team, you know, over the bridges and and you know, in and around Manhattan, uh, seeing the skyline that I grew up with uh, changed with with you know, smoke coming out of it for months. Yeah. So you said uh, the events of 9/11 led you to uh, join the U.S. Army. What what at what point in the uh, after 9/11 did you decide to join? So I was in high school uh, when the towers fell. I was, I was in 11th grade, so I had to wait two years uh, before I could join. And um, so I signed the contract the year I graduated. I uh, was in basic training by January of 2004. And a year after that, was was in Iraq for a year-long deployment. How was your uh, basic training experience? I loved it. It was a lot of fun. I mean, that was that was that was the one thing that I expected the least, I guess, uh, was how fun basic training was i was at 13 fox i, I joined as a as a forward observer so okay. for an 18 year old kid there's no cooler job than being the person who directs artillery right. uh, and you know makes the big guns go boom <laughs> how many deployments did you do just the one just the one 2005 january through december nice so what led you to leave the army well, I left left the military in a less than conventional way. After I I became disillusioned with with uh, with the war in Iraq, pretty much as soon as I got into Sadr City, it it became very clear to me that very very early on in my deployment that uh, it was kind of pointless. There were no weapons of mass destruction. You know what we ostensibly started the war for. It had nothing to do with nine eleven. And when we got there. You know, rather than seeing the Iraqis greet us with flags, which is what they did with my when my unit was part of the invasion, to, to, you know, that was the truth for them in 2003. In 2005, the citizens of Sadr City were extremely upset uh, with with the way that that we had really destroyed their country. So, I came home from Iraq with post traumatic stress disorder long before PTSD was part of the American lexicon and before. I understood it before the army was taking it seriously and didn't try, but didn't get treatment when I needed it. And I ended up in 2007 after finding out that I was stop lost, it's kind of like a backdoor draft. They kept me in beyond my contract that I would be deploying the same week that my contract was set to expire back to Iraq for what would become a 14 to 16 month deployment. That was kind of the, the straw that broke camel's back. And I attempted suicide. The army interpreted that as an act of misconduct. And I was kicked out with what's called bad paper discharge, a, a general discharge. Other than honorable? Not not other than honorable. So there's honorable, general, other than honorable, bad conduct, and dishonorable discharge. So mine was like one level down. I lost my GI bill, but thankfully still had access to the VA, VA healthcare system uh, was has been really good for me it it allowed me took a long time but it allowed me to put my life back together and, and start moving forward again 
what are your favorite memories from your time at the Columbia University in the city of New York? <laughs> so that school was intellectual hazing. It was it was tough. It was really tough. I, I did have this one professor, uh, Professor Judith Russell, who taught my policy making class. Now, I had already by the time I was in that class, I had already been a, a veteran advocate for a few years. You know, I had taken a couple trips to Washington, gotten a few laws passed even. But she helped me really professionalize my my advocacy work. And I've, you know, since had the opportunity to pass more laws, much, much easier when you know what's going on, uh, when you have a better understanding of, of what you're doing. You know, and a, and a thing that I'm, I think, most most proud of is I'm the person who figured out the budgetary trick to make the forever GI bill worthy of its namesake. So now when someone serves in the military, they earn the GI bill, it never expires for them. For people, you know, who served when I did, you had a 15 year arbitrary date where boof, it's gone. Yeah, same here. So I want to talk to you about your incredibly unique organization, Task Force Butler. For my listeners who are unfamiliar with this project, can you give them a, a brief overview as to what the primary mission of the group is? Yeah, so the mission of Task Force Butler Institute is to gather evidence of extremists engaging in criminal activity and to impose social and economic costs, legal costs on these extremists and these extremist organizations. So what does that mean? When a neo-Nazi organization is showing up outside of a gay bar and harassing people for for being who they are we will gather evidence of who they are if they're wearing masks that's that's just fine you know it, it may take us a couple months we'll figure out who they are and if they committed violence or any other sort of hate crime we'll write a report and provide it to journalists to law enforcement and to the affected communities so those perpetrators can be held responsible. What inspired you to take on this task? Well, I, I've i had a couple of run-ins with, with neo-Nazis. My last name is Goldsmith. So uh, if you exist online with a last name that people think is Jewish, you're going to be targeted with anti-Semitism. I remember back in, in 2016, I was, I was actually at a, uh, a candidate's forum uh, between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. Uh, they were there not to debate directly, but one after the other talk about veterans issues. And Trump said something stupid, kind of mansplained to a, a woman vet uh, about the problem of, of suicide, which is an issue that I obviously am very personally connected to and care about a lot. And I was in the background of a TV shot, of a live TV shot, and shook my head disapprovingly of Trump. And that was all that it took for some online neo-Nazi uh, who's, who's using the name Ricky Vaughn to find out who I was, to target me on Twitter. And my phone or my phone was literally like overheating because of the notifications that I was getting. And I was uh, the replies that I was getting on Twitter from that were included things like having the Star of David superimposed over my chest and my head in an oven. Really really graphic stuff. So that, and you know, my wife is a journalist. Lots of my friends are, are journalists. They've been targeted with death threats, bomb threats, bomb scares. You know, the, the MAGA terrorist from Florida a few years ago when he was mailing pipe bombs to CNN, it was my friends in that building. So 
I honestly, I feel like I don't have a choice. I can either, you know, sit and wait for people I care about to get killed by these folks, or, you know, I can go out and do something about it using the legal system, you know, doing it safely. You know, I'm not, not some sort of vigilante. And, you know, thankfully, I've got a, a team of veterans, a task force butler who, who really enjoy, you know, reclaiming patriotism from these, these folks who have co-opted the American flag and, and, you know, used it to abuse and intimidate vulnerable people. You, uh, I was going to ask this question to later on, but I'll just circle back to it now is, you know, obviously doing this work, it's made you a prime target for hate groups and such. What are you mm -hmm. doing to take care of your mental health as well as your safety? You know, I mentioned before how the VA is, has taken care of me. I, the biggest thing, the biggest, most important part of my own recovery from post-traumatic stress disorder and the alcoholism that came with it and the depression and the suicidality and really the five-year period of darkness, you know, from my suicide attempt on, getting out of that, the thing that, that mattered was me being proactive about my own care. It took a long time for me to, to learn this. And, and by learn, I mean, like, make it a learned behavior that even when I'm feeling good, like I still need to go talk to my doc at the VA and, and, you know, just, just check in, like continue taking the prescriptions, be aware of, of my body and my mind and, and uh, what I'm going through so that should I start feeling like I used to felt uh, used to, used to feel when I was in those bad times that I can take action uh, before it gets any worse. That's good. So, January 6th was a terrible stain on the history of the United States, which you claim saw the you know extremist militarization of our nation's veterans and resulting in many arrests. In your opinion, why are veterans easy targets for recruitment and radicalization? Yeah, so that's that's a common misconception. Veterans, there is no evidence that I've seen, no peer-reviewed studies that that show veterans to be vulnerable to recruitment in a way that other Americans aren't. Uh, towards extremist movements. But what we are is we're targeted more. We're targeted more heavily. And we're targeted by extremist movements for the same reasons that the Russians uh, targeted veterans you know, to interfere with their elections. And the same reason that Fortune 500 companies target us for recruitment to work for them. Because we are mission-driven. We care about our teammates. And we have a large amount of social capital compared to most Americans. So we are, for propagandists, for extremists, in uh, economically efficient target. If you can change the mind, the value system, the belief system of, of a veteran, that veteran is more likely than, than any other target to bring along their friends, their family, their social network with them in those new beliefs, those new values. So if you can target someone and convince them that target a veteran and convince them that the election was stolen or that it is their duty to go kill members of Congress to uh, undo you know, the election, that veteran is more likely to bring supporters with them. And, and that is why veterans were among the first to, uh, they, were, they were overrepresented in those who were first to be arrested because they were driving the mission of that day to commit the insurrection. What has law enforcement's response been to Task Force Butler's work? Respectful. 
<laughs> I think would probably be the best way to uh, the, the the most generous way to to say that our, what our response has been. They are interested to to read our work. You know, they are they are happy to have us submit reports. That said, we are pretty frustrated with what it takes to get a neo-Nazi taken off the streets. Short of actually committing violence, it uh, it is very that law enforcement is very hesitant to take any action. And any prosecutor, any any law enforcement official can tell you that law enforcement is built to be reactive, not proactive. And you know, sometimes that's sometimes that that's a good thing. But in the case of the reports that we're writing, you know, we believe that legally there is enough evidence against the subjects in our reports to take action. You know, you shouldn't have to wait until someone commits violence to arrest them. If they're destroying property, if they're engaging in behavior that meets the definition of a hate crime, it, it's time to arrest them, even if you're not going to put them away forever, even if it's a misdemeanor charge. It's worth starting that ball moving so that uh, so that these folks understand that there are uh, consequences for living a life of hate. I live in Oklahoma, and I have seen firsthand uh, unchecked radicalization uh, of the mil- of militias here in Oklahoma City. I'm sure you know 1995. I'm sure you understand what happened there. Mm-hmm. Uh, in your humble opinion, how aware is the FBI currently on the activities of extremist groups here in the United States? Hmm. I think that the FBI is is pretty well tapped into. I would say a majority of the extremist movements that matter. But like I just said a moment ago, like the problem is, is that law enforcement is reactive. They're not proactive until these groups are basically in front of them, setting a time, date, place and and uh, saying how they're going to do it, committing a violent crime. The FBI doesn't move to make arrests. Okay, Duval Nation, we're going to go ahead and take a small break right here, but we will be right back with the conclusion of this interview with Christopher Goldsmith. Miss just you take this time to refresh that drink and take some super long deep breaths. You know that's right, Cluzo style. Out with the bad air, in with the good. Out with the bad air, in with the good. Please give your attention to a few friends of my show, and we will be right back. I'm Billy Dees and host of the self-titled podcast, The Billy Dees Podcast. We are primarily an interview and a commentary-based podcast featuring authors and creators talking about their craft, advocates for community issues, and myself and an array of co-hosts discussing current events. There's no partisan ranting and raving going on here, just great content. You can find The Billy Dees Podcast on your favorite platform and on Twitter at Billy Dees. Thank you, and I hope you listen in. Hello Duval Nation, Derek Duval here. Mental health is not only a top priority in my life, but it should be in yours too. As a combat military veteran, I have seen what untreated mental health looks like, which is why I've been using a therapist for well over a decade. Seeing a trusted therapist has helped me reconcile life events and other important things I've been witness to since returning home from the service and has changed my life for the better in many ways. Which is why going forward I am pleased to announce that BetterHelp will be sponsoring The Derek Duval Show. BetterHelp is the world's first therapy service and it's 100% online. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 30,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. 
To get started, you just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. That way, BetterHelp can match you with the right therapist from their network. Then, you can talk to your therapist however you feel comfortable, whether it's via text, chat, phone, or video call. You can message your therapist at any time and schedule live sessions when it's convenient for you. If your therapist isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. With BetterHelp, you get the same professionalism and quality you can expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you. More scheduling flexibility and at a more affordable price. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Derek Duvall Show. That's BetterHelp.com slash Derek Duvall Show. We're Sam's Army and the gang's all here. Sam's Army and the gang's all here. Sam's Army and the gang's all here. For glory, the cup and then to drink some beer. Oi, this is Chad from The Shame. We're listening to The Derek Duvall Show. You can find our stuff at theshameshop.com or listen to it on almost all the streaming services. We'll see you down the pub. Cheers. This is Benjamin Sledge, author of Where Cowards Go to Die. In my award-winning memoir, you'll discover the raw humanity, intricate complexity, and brutal barbarity of those who served in the Iraq and Afghan wars, and the psychological toll it took on modern veterans. You can purchase Where Cowards Go to Die on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or anywhere major books are sold. Look for me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Benjamin C. Sledge. Here to get drunk. <laughs> drink, drink, drink. Hi, I'm Jessica. Am I stroking? <laughs> yeah. Hi, I'm Sonia. Well, we're so drunk. I'm like, ah. Hi, and I'm Don Marie. Don, Don, Don. And we are Opinionated Lushes, a comedy and society podcast where we like to drink and talk shit. Jessica yeah. doesn't. Jessica's normal. We start our episodes off with a question and a drink word. We usually never stay on topic or wait for the drink word to start drinking. She's freaking out because I'm talking. There's a new episode of Opinionated Lushes every Friday on all streaming platforms. An unedited episode Saturday on YouTube. Um, I finished my drink during pre-drinks and now my tummy hurts. If you want to grab a drink with us. Any kind of drink and get ready to laugh. Make sure to follow. And bring your opinions. Hi, this is Glenn. And this is Sonia from Echo Valley. And you are listening to The Derek Duval Show. Here's a song called Faces in the Mirror from our album Anarchy and Alchemy. everyone, this is Janae Sergio, life coach, combat veteran, and best-selling author. I invite you to purchase my new book, Perfectly Flawed, a veteran's journey from homeless to hero. In these pages, you will learn about the lowest struggles of my life to the absolute triumphs that have made me the strong woman I am today. Follow along as I talk about homelessness, my naval role in Operation Enduring Freedom, navigating insurmountable odds, and how I dealt with and overcame them. You can find Perfectly Flawed on Amazon, 
Barnes and Noble, or wherever books are sold. Welcome back to episode 165 of the Derek Duvall Show. Let's get right back to it with the conclusion of our interview with the CEO of the Task Force Butler Institute, Christopher Goldsmith. So one of the mission statements you mentioned earlier was reclaiming patriotism. Can you expand on that for my listeners? Yeah, so I think a lot of folks, especially during January 6th, you know, watched American flags in a crowd of insurrectionists, a crowd of fascists who were trying to literally physically murder and destroy their way into taking over the country, right? That that was their mission that day. Seeing American flags, seeing symbols of military service in that insurrectionist mob has left a lot of folks looking at the American flag in a different kind of way. You know, I wore the American flag when I fought in Iraq. I can't say that, you know, I'm that the service that I provided to my country while in uniform wearing that flag protected anyone's rights, American, Iraqi, or otherwise. But I can say that the team at Task Force Butler Institute, as we go into the dark places of the internet, as we infiltrate neo-Nazi organizations, as we gather evidence of their criminal activity, which is based around taking away the civil rights of others, right? That, that is their mission. When we provide our reports to law enforcement, when a neo-Nazi you know, ends up losing their job, ends up getting exposed, uh, ends up you know, maybe getting arrested, we are demonstrably having an effect and, and protecting the civil rights of our fellow Americans. And that, that is what patriotism is. That's, that's what the mission of our organization is about. Um, and that's why you know, folks who join our team are a bunch of badasses. I mean, they they really put a lot of time and effort into doing what we do. There was an image that's burned in my brain from January 6th, and I don't think I'll ever truly get over it as someone who does love this country, and that is someone carrying the Confederate flag through the halls of Congress. I think mm-hmm. that to, to the, that was one of the most damning things that I may have ever seen in my, in my 40 years on this earth. So Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's – um... There is a large piece of America who who has been taught, you know, this phrase heritage, not hate to talk about that Confederate flag. There are a lot. There's a large portion of Americans who, who look at that flag and they believe, oh, it just means that I'm Southern. It just means that I believe in freedom. And that is because they haven't been taught a the, the history of the, the Civil War, the true history of the Civil War. And, and B, they haven't been taught empathy. They haven't been taught to understand what that flag evokes in the minds of Black Americans whose family was enslaved, who are only in the Western Hemisphere because their you know, generations before them were, were stolen, raped, murdered, uh, and forced to forget their language, their, their religion, their background, uh, and you know, then treated with hostility and, and disrespect and denied civil rights, uh, you know, up and up and through today. Yeah. So I've had many veterans on my show and based on where the world is right now, I ask every single veteran this next question. And if it's okay, I want to ask it to you. And that is sure. a year and a half ago, we finally came to the end of a 20 year brutal conflict in Afghanistan. What were your, feelings when you're watching on the news, the absolute chaos to the end of the war? 
that was so my only connection to Afghanistan is through my friends and and my my wife. My wife is a journalist. She spent about two years in Afghanistan as a civilian journalist. Tons of my friends, you know, from the veteran advocacy community have, have spent years, multiple deployments in Afghanistan, and they are deeply, deeply connected to that country. My my wife is was at the time the editor for Afghanistan for the New York Times. And her reporters were on the ground and their support staff. So the guards, the cooks, the people who clean the facilities, right? Like we're talking about hundreds of people. So she was, she ended up uh, being responsible for organizing evacuations for, for months, for months, um, even some, I think, beyond a year working to get people out of, out of Afghanistan. So uh, for my family, for my friends, it was deeply traumatic. I I wanted to see the war in, in Afghanistan come to a conclusion, but I, uh, when I was advocating for that, I had no idea of of how catastrophic the the withdrawal would be. So it was it was um, it was it was deeply traumatic, and it is something that will stay with me and, and my family and, and friends for the rest of our lives. Now, I know you've done some absolutely extraordinary veteran outreach work. In your opinion, what can the VA be doing better to assist veterans returning home from a 20-year war to a nation that is unsure what place they have for them in society? Oh, that's, that's, um, that's a good question. You know, if I had a if I had a wish list, um, and and this is, I guess I should say that this this is a bit of a loaded question because I have a deep, deep, deep understanding of the way that the VA works and, and why it works that way, and uh, how Congress and multiple administrations over the years have have made the VA what it is today. Um, so, man, this is this is complicated. But if I had one wish, um, it would be to to see Congress um, further expand uh, VR&E, um, what, what used to be called voc rehab and, uh, and rehabilitation, um, vocational rehabilitation um, and education. That is the program that, that got me through school. It's designed for disabled vets. It's not the GI Bill, but it can work in a similar kind of way, but it's also designed to uh, put a veteran on a path of employability and to provide them additional flexibility. Um, sometimes that that might mean, you know, a, a veteran doesn't have to go to school full time for four years. You know, they they might be, it might be best for them to be a part-time student for a little longer. That level of flexibility is the the only thing that allowed me to get into and then graduate from a school like Columbia University. And I want to see more veterans have that opportunity. That's fantastic. If someone is interested in joining Task Force Butler, what do they need to do? Where do they need to go? Yeah, so folks who want to support Task Force Butler can go to taskforcebutler.org. That being said, we do I do have to make clear that we are not recruiting volunteers at this moment. Um, we very briefly had a sign-up sheet. Uh, on our website, in the course of a week, we had 400 people sign up. We we just had to take it down right away because there's no way that we can 
contact and engage with all of those folks. The choke point for us right now is that we are in the midst of changing from an all volunteer, like part I'm doing this in my free time type organization to one that actually has paid professional staff. We are looking to raise $2 million before the end of the year to, to hire all of the staff necessary for us to massively expand our volunteer program. And what that looks like in the immediate term is next month in, in the month of April, 2023, we need to raise $100,000. You know, and that, that, uh, that is gonna be made up of larger donations and smaller donations. And really, if folks like what they hear about our mission, if they wanna support us, going to taskforcebutler.org, going to the donate button and giving us $5, that makes a difference. Um, you know, donations of, of any uh, of any size helps us get towards that goal. And, uh, you know, we're, we're thankful for everybody's support. So that being said, what is next for you and the organization? So we are, we are hoping, you know, if we can meet our immediate fundraising goals of, of raising $100,000 next month, uh, that will put us in a position so that we can hire our first key staff, our, our, our like core staff. So like HR, CEO, uh, operations director, um, and our volunteer coordinator and, and training manager in the month of June. That, that, is, that is the first um, our first goal. And we, we have an ambitious, you know, trying to raise $2 million in the first year of full, full-time operations is, it's, it's a lot, but um, our work speaks for itself. You know, we are uh, out there working to take down and slow down some of our country's most vile and violent extremist organizations. Um, and I, I know that lots of folks uh, believe in the mission and and like what we've done so far. And uh, when we have the the financial support that we need to hire staff, we'll be able to you know really step it up and and increase our uh, the rate of our work. As we enter the final phase of this interview, um, I always like to ask one fun question, and that is, you know, when you aren't advocating and you're not working on your organization, what do you do for fun? What do you do unwind? I don't. Um, <laughs> that's, uh, I, no, seriously. I, uh, I I do make a point to, um, I have a couple of dogs. I, I make a point to walk a few miles with them through the woods uh, every day. They have a blast. We're getting into chipmunk season. The chipmunks are coming out of hibernation, so they're very excited. You know, I, I have a garden, uh, a bunch of fruit trees and blueberries, raspberries, blackberries, all that stuff. It's all dormant right now, but, you know, I go outside and, and poke around the garden every day just to kind of, um, just kind of unwind. Um, but really, I, I honestly, I, I love what I do. It, it, I face a lot of, um, you know, some of the ugliest stuff on the internet. Um, you know, I infiltrate extremist organizations and and look at their propaganda and, and interact with them and pretend to be one of them uh that that kind of stuff does does take a toll but the mission and and what we've accomplished so far of undermining these extremist organizations is uh more satisfying than 
anything else that I can imagine doing with my time. You know, it's a, I'm sitting here listening to you and I'm, I'm playing events of world history in my head. And that, you know, the end of World War II, we were supposed to have eliminated fascism in all forms. So it would never rear its ugly head. And here we have neo-Nazis on our shores. Mm-hmm. Millions and millions and millions of people died defeating these people. And here they are reading and having a life here. And it just, it makes you sick. It, it really, it hurts your heart. Yeah, it does. I mean, my grandparents' generation, most of the men uh, in in my family served in World War II. Um, and I, I'm glad that they don't, that they didn't live to see what happened in Charlottesville, you know, the neo-Nazi riot in 2017. I can't imagine that they would have ever had any reason to believe that I would have to do, that I would be doing what I'm doing for a living right now, hunting swastika bearing neo-Nazis. Um, but you know, it's, it's, uh, all that said, you know, it's not enough for me to just complain about it. Right. Like task force Butler is, was created so that we can do something about it. So with task force Butler, what would be the best way for my listeners to follow your work, follow your adventures online? What's the best way to do that? Yeah. So, well, for right now, I don't know how long Twitter is going to last. Um, <laughs> it, it used to be a lot of truth it, in that. Yeah, it, it, it was um, at this very moment. It is uh, my primary means of, of, you know, projecting what I'm what I'm doing out there. Um, that said, you know, I have a blue check mark because I'm a real verified person. Two days after we're recording this interview, my blue check mark goes away. So. I don't know if Twitter is going to be a thing, but I've got a uniquely spelled name, Christopher, K-R-I-S-T-O-F-E-R, Goldsmith. If you want to try and find out what I'm doing, if you Google that, whether or not Twitter's around, you Google my name, you'll you'll find out what I'm up to. Uh, but to follow Task Force Butler, taskforcebutler.org, uh, you'll get a pop-up to sign up for our email distribution list. Every month we send out uh, what's called the bluff bottom line up front, uh, a short newsletter that just kind of gives you an, an idea of, you know, the things that we're studying, the things that we're reading and the things that we're doing to fight extremism in the United States. So that being said, and like I said, I've had many, many people on my show now. I've been doing this for three years. I feel like you might be in a position to give one of the most honest answers to my favorite question. And I end my interviews with this question. If the entire planet was listening to this broadcast, what would be the one thing you would like to say to the people of Earth? No. Um, well, very selfishly, donate a dollar to taskforcebutler.org. Um, you know, if folks who, who are frustrated with what they're seeing on the news every day, with, you know, the, the uh, Republican Party going out and legislating hate, denying rights to the LGBTQ community. It don't just, um, don't let it beat you down. Don't become pessimistic. Uh, if, if you, you know, can donate money to an organization like task force Butler, uh, that fights neo-Nazis and that's something you care about, you can do that. If you're not, you know, in the position to do that, 
if you've got a friend in need and you've got a couch for them to sleep on, like bring a friend into your house and give them a safe place to stay. Right. Like there, there are little things that everybody can do for their friends and family to make the world a better place. Chris, you are doing amazing work in this crazy world. And I believe in it. Um, I salute you. You're, I mean, what you're doing is something incredible. And when I learned about you and I learned about your project, as you, we got via email, like I said, I was advocate. You have got to come on the show, talk about your mission. And I want to say from the bottom of my heart, I'm sincere in everything I say between me and my listeners. I join you in wishing you all the luck and for the love of God, please be safe. Okay. Thank you. I'm, I'm trying. <laughs> all right. And just like that, Duval Nation, we come to the end of episode 165. I want to thank Christopher for taking the time out of his incredibly busy schedule to speak with me and for sharing his story and the mission of Task Force Butler. We will have a link in the show notes for you to make a financial contribution, if you can, for this incredibly worthwhile cause. And Christopher, seriously, thank you again, sir. This was a true honor. Okay, tune in again next time as we showcase another extraordinary person. I have a really good one coming up in a few days, so be sure to keep checking your favorite podcast streaming channel for that episode to drop. Also, I think it's fair to ask you, the listener, have you enjoyed this episode? I truly hope you have, so please go hit that subscribe button to keep up to date for when new episodes drop. Also, if you're feeling generous, drop us a review. We love reading what our listeners have to say about us, good or bad. We are still enjoying our partnership with the amazing Tee Public. The Derek Duvall Show has a great little store on there. We have everything with our logo on it, including magnets, stickers, and mugs. Plus, we have some really fun t-shirts on there that Mrs. Duvall and I added ourselves. So please go to our website, DerekDuvallShow.com. Go to the banner on the left that says Merch. Click that, and you will be taken to our store on Tee Public. And once again, I want to thank them for being such great partners with the show. On behalf of myself and the entire team here at the Derek Duvall Show, I want to say to each and every one of you listening, Fascism in all forms is just wrong. Hatred is a learned behavior. No one comes out of the womb hating someone. If we all took a step back and tried to be just a little bit nicer, imagine the world we could live in. You know what? Think on that this week, please. Nostar, God bless, and see you next time, Planet Earth. This has been a recording of The Derek Duvall Show, and we thank you for listening. Please go to our website, DerekDuvallShow.com, for links to merchandise and to explore past episodes. Please find us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Derek Duvall Show.